Welcome to the Legally Sound Smart Business Show, your weekly look at legal news and questions in the business world. Here are your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Stahl. All right, welcome to our business podcast where we cover business in the news and add our legal twist. My name is Nasser Pasha. And I'm Matt Staub. The uh, Staub and Pasha brothers are here. <laughs> Why is that so funny? You've never mentioned that ever. That's kind of funny. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I was just trying to think like, what are, the, what are we, the duo? The Staub-Pasha duo? The duo, yeah. yeah. I guess that makes more sense. Not to get too far off tr- track, but you know what I've always found was really weird, and you might not have ever even seen this. It's a commercial with for State Farm. I think it's State Farm, one of the insurance companies. And yeah. do you know who Chris Paul is? He's a basketball player. <laughs> no? Okay. No, I have well, no idea. <laughs> it wasn't a question to the listeners. It was a question to you. But he's a player for the, in the NBA, and like the whole thing is Chris Paul and Cliff Paul – were separate they're twins and they're separated at birth it's basically it's chris paul wearing like glasses you know so it's oh okay yeah it's this whole thing it's like oh they were you know separated at birth and they were adopted by different families and they've lived different lifestyles and then they like meet each other or something i don't understand why they have the same last name if they were both adopted through different <laughs> families like is it but wait are they really twin brothers or are they is it no Okay. It's fake. Yeah, it's him it's him and then like him wearing uh glasses basically. So even their fake story doesn't make sense because why would they have the same last name? Exactly. You know, sometimes you know, it's it's not abnormal for the adoptive child to keep their own name too. So perhaps that's what it is, Matt, since you think you're so clever. For both of them? Yeah, both. The odds of that happening. Maybe is that that was a condition of the adoption. I guess, but they were. I, I actually did take a course in Columbus, Ohio, on adoption law. Very interesting. Oh, I bet. If anyone needs a needs an adoption, uh, don't contact me. Just because I've taken a course doesn't mean anything. <laughs> well, I don't have a good lead in for this. Yeah, what's your transition here? Maybe we'll adopt this story or something. I don't know. But <laughs> so we're dealing with American Apparel, which I believe it's a nationwide store. I've heard of it. I don't think I've ever seen one. I went there once and I bought a shirt, but it's like very slim fitting. (laughs) Not my thing. Maybe you should uh, lose weight. That's true. Well, maybe that's why these employees that they work for them are upset with all their slim fitting clothes. That's probably not even all slim fitting either, but whatever. Anyway, so (laughs) basically what what American Barrel is in the news for is employees are upset with with the company and that happens all the time, but American apparel has taken in a step further and they are, there's been two complaints filed in the last, as of today, when we're recording, it's been last couple of days, but it'll be a week by the time this comes out. But it's yeah. saying that American apparel is allegedly intimidating the employees and trying silencing tactics, preventing these employees from, you know, discussing or their transgressions, I guess it's, you know, some of these employees have met off site after work hours and have just been, you know, kind of complaining about things there. And American Apparel actually sent a one of the people said they were accosted and interrogated, but the company sent security to this off site meeting of people gathering and according to the the complaints is intimidating them and trying them to be quiet about voicing their complaints. And that's led to some of the things here in these complaints that were fought with the National Labor Relations Board. Yeah. So at the end of the day, the National Labor Relations Board has ruled in the past that these blanket policies, and I think we even may have covered this when this came out. Actually, this was a while ago, but I think we may have covered this rule at least that 
these blanket policies of restricting speech in general for quote like disrespectful comments are not enforceable by employees or employers. And so in this case though, it's a it's a little ambiguous because even with these guidelines, you know, you think that you may be complying with it, but it's still a little ambiguous as to the actual enforcement. So it's kind of difficult. And at the same time, it doesn't make sense that you have no prohibition over your employees because where is the line drawn? So for this example, American Apparel has some policy according to these plaintiffs that response to all media inquiries should be no comment. And in that says it kind of makes sense. If there's some kind of, it might, reminds me of the, again, we have to relate it related to an office episode is when they had some kind of, oh, that printer problem, right? Or in another time they had, a watermark that was inappropriate embedded in their printers, right? In their, in their paper that they were selling. And so in that case, if there's some kind of company controversy, who do you want actually speaking to the, the press? And it shouldn't be, you know, it shouldn't be Pam. It shouldn't be Jim. It should be Michael Scott. It should be the, the person in charge that has the authority to actually speak on behalf of the company. And without that kind of restriction, it would seem strange to not have that enforceable. And so now the question is, does, does that policy in itself, is that, is that against the law? Or is it just to the extent that they're still allowed to speak about policies that maybe have to do with workers' rights and things like that? Well, I would much rather have Jim speak on it than, than Michael Scott. Cause <laughs> no, it loses the entertainment value for sure. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's, it's kind of, they're really crossing the line. If, if these employees are meeting off-site to discuss their gripes with cuts in the number of hours people are working and them complaining about unsatisfactory working conditions, then, you know, it's, it's different if they're, you know, saying that stuff in the break room, you know, during, during their break or you know, complaining to each other while they're working. But these are employees gathering together outside of work. I mean, I, I guess it would depend. Are they standing outside American apparel? I don't know, but, but they're talking to the media, right? And so if, or maybe I'm wrong, but I, I think the, the concept is, is that it's still being publicized. And so now my, my question is, okay, let's say it's not just a gripe, right? Let's say that there are legitimate violations of the law going on with American apparel. But then the question is, okay, if it's only legitimate law-breaking, is that speech okay? But what if they just think it's unfair or that line is very ambiguous, right? Because I understand, of course, we represent businesses most of the time. So I understand the employer's perspective that, you know, we should at least be able to prohibit our employees that are currently employed from going to the media, going to the social media and bashing their employer. There has to be some kind of level of loyalty to that. But how, how do you know if they're doing something wrong? I think the most appropriate thing is the employee should be prohibited from, from communicating publicly like that. But if they have a problem, if there's a law violation, they should exercise their right to file a claim. And if they're doing that, then they can speak to that claim publicly. But if without doing so, without exercising their legal right, just kind of bashing their employer, that's unfair too, because they could just use the negative publicity to gain an advantage over their employer too. And now the employer is stuck with this employee that they can't terminate because they don't want to be construed as terminating them for exercising a fundamental right. They did confiscate some informational flyers, so I would assume that the employers were maybe trying to hand those out or something to that effect. And the silencing tactics are different as well. I mean, I don't, they can't just, that's what you were speaking about before. If they're 
media policy that you know they they're technically aren't supposed to say anything other than no comment. So you can't really put those broad sort of restrictions on there. And this is similar to the broad restrictions that aren't allowed to be applied for social media in terms of what an employer can prohibit an employee from from posting on there. Maybe these people were using social media, but this is more of like an old school way to go about it as opposed to nowadays people are just posting on social media, not gathering in actual, per- like it's, it's so rare that people gather in a group like in person. It does paint a picture of like, you know, 20, 30 years ago of some working conditions that are unfair in the, in some kind of factory and there's no union. And so people are starting to meet and gather like, look, we need to fight for our rights and we're being mistreated in such a way and they don't want to go the legal route because then they'll lose their job or they won't, you know, no one wants to take their case. And so they have to use these subversive measures to actually get what they want. Maybe I'm naive, but it doesn't seem like we're at that point yet. Some of the things that they could be complaining about, in fact, if anything, employee rights are expanding at a rapid speed. And so if there is some kind of issue it's even easier than it was before to just bring a claim. I mean, I, again, I think that might be na- naive in my part, but at the same time, I, I can see from an employer's perspective, from a small business perspective, can you imagine that you have to allow your employees distributing informational flyers to other employees about how bad their employer is? <laughs> Does that make any sense, you know? The thing is, employees are going to complain. Like, it's just part of the deal. Yeah. When you're running a store like American Apparel, when it's just people doing what one of three things like folding or stocking clothes, ringing customers up or like dealing with changing room traffic. Like, (laughs) I mean, after a while, it's going to get pretty dry and people are going to complain about something. So it's the nature of these kind of businesses. I mean, the restaurant business has to be even worse. I would imagine that has to just be constant complaint. Have you seen the movie waiting? Do you know waiting? It's probably like 10 years old now. Ryan Reynolds. I don't know. It's set in a restaurant and I've talked to people and I was like, well, how much is that movie similar to like real life restaurants? He's like, oh, it's like, that's exactly how our restaurant was. It's just kind of not chaotic completely, but I haven't seen it, but I don't think I could do that job. I think it'd be very difficult for me. (laughs) I don't see how other people are able to do it. I'm just so separated from that world for sure. So what, what would you tell an employer I guess, what advice would you give about, let's say they, they found out some of their employees were gathering together and how would you advise them? There's ambiguity as to how to deal with this. The problem is that, you know, whenever there's ambiguity in, in that respect, or it's a very subtle issue, most attorneys would take a very conservative approach. But the problem with a conservative approach in this sense is that it doesn't achieve any of the business objectives because the most conservative approach would be to, yeah, just let them be. But that can be toxic to your business. So first, I would say that let's try to figure out a way to handle it in a positive way by, I don't know, addressing their, you know, they're obviously complaining about something, address their concerns head on, you know, open up dialogue, allow them to communicate and express themselves in a way that's a little bit more controlled. You know, this sounds kind of demeaning, but how you would handle a child that is, you know, loud, just give them some other, another toy to play with so that they have some kind of release in that respect. And then if that doesn't work, you know, I would find a happy medium to restrict that speech because there has to be some kind of line there. But I think it's, it would be very difficult for any attorney to advise them based upon what the current law is and how it's kind of developing currently. That's how I would approach it. And I think that first step that you mentioned gets overlooked by some people. And step one should be addressing it with the individual or group of people. 
And sometimes that gets bypassed. And But the reality is from a photo attorney's perspective, if that could have happened, it would have happened anyway. And usually, you know, you, you dealt with the cards you have and the clients you have. And I'd be surprised if that had, hadn't been tried before, because if it, if it hadn't been done, then they're probably not willing to do that anyway. Because I would think that would be an obvious step, but probably, but it's worth a shot. Anyway, so, and, and this happens more in a, this would, is more likely to happen to a company like American Apparel, which has a little bit more of a complex management structure for which may not have, you know, close ties to each employee where a small business in theory wouldn't have as much of an issue. But I've, I've seen, you know, all it takes is one toxic employee to bad apple, so to speak, to kind of ruin the culture and really start spreading this kind of these comments here and there that, oh, we're being mismanaged. This is a horrible work environment, et cetera. And worst case scenario is that they're right. And (laughs) if it is a bad working environment then there's something that the employer has to do. I think Dwight did that to Jim that one time when he was the manager and had like the uh, employee of the month thing. And Exactly. I love how the office is probably mentioned in every employment issue that we've covered so far. Oh, yeah. It's too easy. I mean, they... it's too easy. It's basically our Simpsons reference, you know, or there's pretty much a Simpsons for every every situation. But we talk. You love Better Call Saul, right? You like that show? Yeah, I'm, I'm all caught up. It was basically between him and Steve Carell for Michael Scott. Did you know that? No, I did not know that. He's a good alternative. I think he would have been good too, but yeah, because he's actually in, if you remember, he was in that one episode where Pam goes to like the Bizarro office and he's basically just, just like Michael Scott. I don't know if you saw that one. It was later on. I didn't catch that. Yeah. He's exactly like Michael Scott was. It's kind of funny. Well, in the last, you know, in this week's episode, and I won't give anything away, there's there's one scene which he meets a potential client for which has this invention idea for a patent. And I got to show it to you, Matt, because it basically, the client asked for him to sign an NDA before seeing the his invention. You know, as Matt knows, it's that's always an annoyance of mine because, you know, a, a, attorneys have this thing called attorney-client privilege, and it's I don't want to say it's insulting, but I, you know, I kind of, I'm just sensitive, oversensitive about it because I mean, I'm not going to keep signing NDAs for every client. That's just doesn't make sense to me. Anyway, that's a different issue. Yeah. But he uncovers the blanket and it ends up being a toilet, some kind of device that he plugs in and you just have to watch it, but it just ends up being a very horrible invention. And we, how many times as lawyers, we've come across that kind of same kind of scenario. It just uh, makes me laugh. You'll have to check that out. Well, as they say in the office, toilet inventions are easy. So that was all of Michael Scott's inventions. That's true. So we've talked about the office and Better Call Saul. And those are pretty much our main issues for today. Check and check. I think we're done. All right. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Yep. Keep us on. Keep us smart. This has been the Legally Sound Smart Business Show with your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Stop. The Legally Sound Smart Business Show is your weekly look at legal news and questions in the business world. Legally Sound Smart Business is a podcast that is intended but not promised or guaranteed to be current, complete, or up-to-date, and should in no way be taken as an indication of future results. No attorney-client relationship is created by listening or submitting questions to the podcast. The podcast does not constitute legal advice, but rather is offered only for general informational and educational purposes. You should not act or rely on any information in the podcast without first seeking the advice of an attorney. The opinions expressed in the podcast reflect the views of those individuals and do not necessarily represent the views of any other individual or business. 
For more information about the Legally Sound Smart Business Show, visit LegallySoundSmartBusiness.com.